Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. My name is Robert Morrison, a contributor at NinerNoise.com, and here with me, as always, and this time to explain the NFL passer rating, uh, is fellow uh, Niner Noise contributor Akshaz Dovadula. Akshaz, how's it going, man? You know, if I could ever explain the NFL passer rating, I think I wouldn't necessarily have to just be recording podcasts because I don't know how <laughs> those numbers work, but they work. But it's good. It's good. Excited for Thanksgiving and some yeah. football with a rooting interest for once in a while, although not so sure how I feel about mm-hmm. two Thursday night games in a season. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get into all that later. This is... Um, you, you're either hearing this in like supersized mode or, um, or ignore what I just said, uh, depending on how things kind of shape up, but we'll see how those things play. Um, obviously the first thing that we need to talk about, um, is the, the 49ers are growing streaking, um, and they win their second game in a row, 27, 14 over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home, um, no, we didn't. We didn't. Uh, we we had some scheduling conflicts over the weekend, so we couldn't get a, or, or later last late last week, so we couldn't get a, a preview pod. I if, I don't know. I I don't think that the final score is too far off of what I would have predicted. I I might have given the Niners a few more points, but I think 14 is about right where I would have thought the Buccaneers would have thought would have landed. I might have said something like you know 34, 14 or something like that, but. I think I think you know there we'll talk about it in in some detail here in a little bit, but um it 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 felt about right to me in terms of how the game landed in terms of the final score. I don't know what what thought you had about that in a sort of general sense, yeah, I think the game is somehow like really accurately reflected in the score and also not reflected at all in the score, which is <laughs> we'll talk about just how like what a weird game it was, honestly, yeah. but yeah, yeah. You know, I think it wasn't a great game by any means, but it was a pretty, pretty convincing win. So sometimes they've been wanting to win those grimy games. So honestly, that's probably a probably a good place to be. It's a good practice to kind of deal with the game where things aren't necessarily going your way and you come out on top. Yeah, I think I think that's that's probably right. I think they this is probably the closest thing that they've had to like a a game where you look at it and go, eh, you know, everything didn't quite uh, go as they would have probably hoped. It, but there were also, but there was also a time when they were up by 20 points. It's, you know, it's at some point in the game. So it's, it's kind of a weird, um, a weird, weird how that kind of played out. Um, but I think it, it, it probably went about where, where you thought. Um, obviously, lots of good things to, to talk about. And we'll talk about all the, all the good here um, as we get into the, the, the good side of things, but um, we need to start with uh, uh, some not so good news, and that is related to um, 49ers All Pro Safety Talanola Hufanga, who um, went down with a, um, a non-contact injury. I think it was late in the third quarter. Um, uh, Buccaneers linebacker Rashad White caught a pass out of the backfield. Um, Hufanga kind of went to to make a play. You could definitely see live. I mean, people were kind of were were, were giving it the old, old LOL on on uh, social media because it, it was like the literal ankle breaker. Um, as it turned out, it wasn't his ankle, um, but he left the field, was off the field for a long time. By all accounts, was in the blue medical tent for an extended period of time. As it turns out, they were you know checking out his knee. 
Um, and then the Kyle Shanahan confirmed on Monday after the team uh, reconvened that the MR confirmed a torn ACL for Hufanga, which will end his season. And, you know, it we're, 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 we're so far along in our medical situations that you can't quite rule them out for uh, the start of, of the 2024 NFL season, but it is certainly going to be something to watch throughout the, throughout training camp and that sort of thing. When we get back to that part and leading into next year to see if he'll be ready to go. Um, But it is certainly bad, bad news or, you know, not great news for Hufanga and everything. And uh, you you hate to see it. uh, And you hate to see somebody's season end this way for sure. Yeah. I mean, just brutal injury for Hufanga, especially this off season would have been potentially a chance to begin negotiations on a contract extension as well. So, I mean, just terrible timing for him. Luckily, it seems as though as far as injuries can go, like as far as ACLs can go, it's a relatively tame, clear, cleaner ACL tear. So mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, he beats those estimates and is back by the start of next year. But big loss for sure. Hope yeah. he just, oh, I mean, when it comes to like big injuries like this, you always just hope that he'll be okay and be able to get back to playing football the way he was before. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, the good news about, as, as you noted, it's a pretty clean tear from what we were told. Um, and, you know, the thing about this is they tend to not mess around with <laughs> with these surgeries. When it's time to go, they go in and they get it done. Um, I'm not really sure what the timeline is on that. Um, but I know, you know, I would think once once uh, all the swelling is cleared up and they're ready to go, they'll just go in and, and do the repair. And he's got, you know, whatever the, the time frame is to kind of get ready to go. And like you said, hopefully he'll be ready to, hopefully he'll be, uh, ready to Get out there during training camp and, and make a difference, and we'll see how that plays out. Uh, we'll talk about his replacement in a little bit because I think that's a major part of the timeline of this of this game. Um, it was announced this afternoon. There was a lot of speculation in terms of what the Niners were going to do with his uh, roster spot. Um, I even put out a, a piece yesterday about some speculation about what they were going to do. I was thinking about it <laughs> from a strictly... Uh, like they only have three safeties on the roster now, so they, they've got to replace him with a fourth one, right? Well, the Niners, of course, zagged when we thought they were going to zig or whatever. Uh, they did sign a player to add to the uh, the roster to replace Hufanga in terms of like having another player on the roster. They signed uh, offensive lineman, offensive guard, Ben uh, Barched, I think is how you're saying. I don't know. Uh, he was on the Jaguars practice squad uh, he has 20 career starts at guard. Um, he takes over again Hufanga's spot that was made uh, that uh, was made official. Um, they put Hufanga on IR and signed the new guy. Um, I I think eventually they're going to make a move to bring in a defensive back, but I also wonder if they're looking at the number of cornerbacks that they had. I saw some speculation. Somebody threw out the idea that maybe like Isaiah Oliver, if he's not going to factor in as a as a nickel cornerback, could he be like a an emergency safety if they, they need it. Really, they just need somebody to go out there and play special teams, and that could be really anybody at this juncture. We'll see how that goes. But you think a defensive back is coming <laughs> somewhere along the way, but I, I, I don't know. With this team, it's kind of hard to, to know what they're going to do. I don't think so because, you know, we were talking, I think, last week or two weeks ago about Daryl Luter and Sam Womack coming back onto this roster. So I think – they'll probably start trying to slide over some of their corners as opposed to signing a safety off the street. 
<clears throat> at this point, I think special teams wise, when Womack comes back, you kind of you get really settled there. So, you know, worst comes to worst, and another safety gets injured. I'm sure like you can put a corner there for emergency play and then figure it out following that week. Yeah. And they, they do, as I um, speculated, was the most likely scenario. They do have Taylor Hawkins is a, a safety um, on the practice squad. So that could be somebody they elevate for game days if they decide they want to do that. They probably just thought <laughs> clearly given the way the offensive line contrition is going at the moment, uh, they just need another body there. And so that makes sense for sure. Um, all right, so that's not the, the happiest way to, to start talking about a, a game that the Niners won, but uh, let's 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 talk about things that we liked because obviously there were a lot of good things that happened in this game. They won the game and did so fairly handily, um, all things considered. So, Akshaz, I'll kick it to you. Uh, what was something that you liked about this game? I mean, lots of things to like, but I'm going to talk about Brandon Nayuk in particular just because I think – We've been on this podcast very like vocal about just how good he is, right? So no surprises here that he's playing incredibly. But, I mean, five receptions, I think 156 yards, the longest touchdown in the NFL. He's just like, (laughs) for a little bit. I mean, he's just winning at every stage of the game. I remember you mentioned a month ago, off some statistic, he was the most open receiver. Mm-hmm. In the NFL, I mean, you know, Brock Purdy had his perfect game, and that's super awesome. But Ayuk has fully emerged, I think, into being that bona fide number one option. And he legitimately, in the same way that McCaffrey changes the way defenses have to play, and Kittle is such a unique weapon, Ayuk is that guy you can go, if I need a receiver to get me 10 yards. I can throw it to him. And he's always open. Like, it's not that statistically he's the most open, but he'll get into that middle of the field, and it's just like 12 yards just because he, like, threw a beautiful in route. I mean, the guy is a machine, and it's such a joy that the 49ers have him right now. They're going to definitely have to pay him quite a bit of money (laughs) when it's time for that contract extension. But for right now, I mean, he's, he's probably the most underpaid receiver in the NFL by far. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't remember where I saw this, but somebody was pointing out the fact that what is it with, and, and this is probably true across the board, but it seems to be very 49er um, of late where a player, a, rookie, a, a guy on a rookie deal entering into that year right before they're about to get paid just completely loses their mind, <laughs> right? Um, you know, you think of Debo Samuel who, who had – that massive all pro season with the, and the wide back thing and all that jazz. Um, Fred Warner, who was an all pro the year before he got paid. Nick Bosa wins defensive player of the year. George Kittle uh, had a very similar situation where his, maybe his best statistical season was right before his, he was up for a new contract. And then I got Brandon Ayuk, who's, who's all, who's just absolutely, um, as you know, outplaying his current deal. Um, it will be really interesting to see what they choose to do with that. Um, from his perspective, I mean, I think there's there's absolutely no question that you've got to find a way to keep this guy on the team. He's already at 831 yards on the season through nine games. He had 1,015 um, this this season, nine games this season already is his second highest receiving total in his career in four, in four seasons. Um, now, um, he only played 12 games as a rookie. And but other than that. 
he's 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 already at, at his highest his second highest total and he's very 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 um it's it seems very unlikely at this point where he's averaging let's see 92 yards per game that he's just going to absolutely destroy the 1000 yard mark at this particular juncture um it's i mean we're we're talking like a like a 1500 yard receiver <laughs> before this year is out um, or an offense that doesn't even throw very often, too, right? right? Like, yeah, if yeah. you think he was in, like, Kansas City's offense or, I'm trying to think, or, like, Cincinnati's offense where, you know, it's through the air all the time, he could be doing, like, unprecedented things. So, I mean, the statistical production is insane. Yeah, he's just, he, he's very consistent. Um, I mean, yeah, like, you, you got to... A team that, as you noted, let's see, they are 30th in the no, sorry, they're last in the NFL in in passing attempts this year, and yet somehow they're eighth in yards. And that's just that's that's a testament to how efficient they are as a passing offense across the board. But Ayuk, I think, is the the sort of standout port guy there for sure. Um, we'll see. <laughs> um, he's gonna want whatever whatever Debo got plus whatever the current number is, right? Um, so it's going to be in the twenties somewhere. The mid twenties probably is, is a very likely number. So we'll see. We'll get to have this, this conversation again. We'll get to do this again. Um, now, of course the, the difference is, um, he technically has the fifth year option, which is something that not all like Debo didn't have that Kittle didn't have that Warner didn't have it. Um, but Bosa did, but he wasn't going to play on that. And I wouldn't expect that Ayuk is going to play on the fifth year option either. So, um, Stay tuned for that one, <laughs> for sure. Um, did you have anything else to say? I kind of like cut you off on on your 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 uh, good things. <laughs> no, I mean just you know we we talk about like I've said this basically since the season started. This season is about making sure you get the highest seed possible and making sure that you have this school, the skills, the tools, and the players necessary to win the Super Bowl. And Brandon Ayuk's emergence is a huge part of that equation. So this like consistent domination is exactly what you need heading into Philadelphia in January or in Vegas against the Dolphins or the Chiefs or whoever makes it out of or the Ravens in February. Yeah. yeah. Um, no thanks to the Eagles, by the way, for or no thanks to the Chiefs for <clears throat> Monday night. Thanks for that. Um <clears throat> We're not bitter or anything. It's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, you mentioned you mentioned Brock Purdy. Obviously, we need to we need to talk about his 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 passer rating that we uh, alluded to earlier. Um, just like I don't I don't know what else this kid has to do to just get everybody on board, but whatever. Uh, twenty one to twenty five, three hundred thirty three yards, three touchdowns. He was sacked four times. I think a couple of those are probably on him. A couple a little bit on the offensive line. Um, one hundred and fifty eight point three passer rating, which is perfect for some reason again i'm not really sure how this works and just an absolute dime uh on his 76 yard pass uh to brandon iok for the touchdown that that sort of blew the thing open early in the third quarter you know it was one of those things you know the niners were looking like it was in dire straits they're on their two they're on their own two yard line of course the very first thing they do is run up the middle they get like what a yard maybe two and then they run a play that i noticed they ran a couple of different times where they sort of misdirection to to the right and then get Kittle out in space against Devin White, who just had absolutely no chance um, all, all day long against Kittle. And they got him out in space. And then the very next play, 
uh, Purdy drops a dime and Io has is scoring a touchdown. So um, I think absolutely fantastic performance from from him. Obviously, I think that's two in a row. I, you know, I think it's really hard to say outside of outside of the Browns game that he's had a game where he's played like really poorly the whole the whole time. And even that game, as we've talked about already, he had he gave him the opportunity to win at the end, even though he wasn't playing well. So, again, I, I think at this point, if if you if you are, are are talking about him not being a legitimate quarterback in the league, you, you're, you're just you're you're trying to, to rile people up. It's just kind of where I am at this particular point. Um and then two other names that I want to point out. Um, I think we we need to mention Jair Brown, who we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, in the midst of all this Talano Hufanga news, his ascension now into the starting lineup, I think, will be a massive one to watch. He had a very rough start. They went right after him on the very first play that he came in. He gave up, what, like, I think a 41-yard pass right through the seams. He was real flat-footed, didn't really seem to know what, he, what was going on. And then a a switch flipped and he absolutely just stepped up and did things that were called upon when, he, when needed to do had a couple of late pass breakups, including one on fourth down, in the, in the, uh, <laughs> including one on fourth down in the, the red zone to Mike Evans played it perfectly. And then the, the game ceiling interception off a tip ball that he just played really well and, and was able to, to, to handle it. So kudos to Jair Brown. And then last name I'll throw out there, Fred Warner, who, we talked about this earlier in the season. Is there any way that he can enter into the defensive player of the year conversation? And I think the fact that there doesn't seem to be a consensus on who should win this award right now. I think it's really up in the air. There's a lot of guys that could be in the running. I certainly think that Fred Warner is one of those guys. And he's doing the thing that that we said he probably wouldn't do, which he's racking up counting stats like he's getting interceptions. He's getting sacks. The tackles are always going to be there, but he's doing things that are noticeable. Um, and I think that's that's really going to help a potential case. So any thoughts on any of that there, Akshat? Um, <clears throat> I'll go down the list. First of all, yeah, Brock Purdy, he's a guy. Like, let's just put it out there. You know, there should be no discussion about whether or not he's an NFL QB. The question now becomes how good can he be? I think we've seen Brock Purdy's floor, and that might be like Kirk Cousins, essentially. Like, that's kind of where we're playing it. But he plays at a level sometimes that's just – that is legitimately incredible. Like, perfect passer rating is a byproduct of a lot of different things. But he never really had a bad throw against the Buccaneers. And, I mean, that's typically his games, you know. It's not a lot of, oh, wow, that was really dangerous. Maybe that shouldn't have happened. It's a lot more of, hey, like, good throw, a little aggressive – takes chances down the field. I mean, he um, he gives this offense another dimension. And it's the dimension that I think we've all wanted from this 49ers offense, which is push the ball down vertically, attack the seams, basically, you know, attack defenses. And that he gives you a chance to do that, that's all you need. Because that's what lets this offense really, really shine. Jair Brown, absolutely huge game from him. I think, you know, a little bit of rookie jitters at the beginning, but he made a bunch of big plays, and that's that's what you need because Hufanga in this defense isn't really the clean-up-everything guy. That's more Sean Gibson. Hufanga is the big-play, splash-play guy, right? He can sniff out a screen and <clears throat> intercept it or come in for a perfectly timed sack. So 
Brown is shouldn't be held to that standard, but he definitely having a knack to the football like he showed, that's exactly what you want. And that'll be such a huge thing for this team. And then I definitely totally forgot the last person you said. So Fred Warner. <laughs> oh yeah. Warner. <clears throat> How could I forget about Fred? Oh, it was his God. birthday too on Sunday. He was playing out of his mind. Yeah, I mean, I've said so much about Fred Warner. I don't anyone who's heard more than one podcast knows how much I how good I think Fred Warner is. You know, I want to say there's a chance for him to get defensive player of the year. I really do think there could be, especially if the Niners didn't drop those three games. But I think the way Miles Garrett is playing for a Browns defense that is willing that team to the playoffs. That might, like, I think the narrative is really hard for Warner to overcome. So, but he's up there. He is for sure, in my opinion, probably one of the five most valuable defensive players in the NFL, if not one of the five most valuable players in the NFL, because like we said, he changes everything. And lo and behold, he changed the game against the Bucks. Yeah. Um, all, all good things. I think you're. I think you're probably right about the Miles Garrett thing, but it's it's very interesting because the whole um, Micah Parsons and how he was like anointed with that <laughs> with that uh, physician coming into the year. It's like, oh, it's he, he's due, and it's like, oh well, maybe. Um, and so it just you know just goes to show you sometimes these things don't quite pan out. Um, the other thing I was going to say about Jair Brown, um, it it it's it'll be interesting to see. Because my guess is that the plan was that they kind of anticipated Deshaun Gibson returning for this year, but in the long term, the the plan would be to to have Jair Brown back there with Hufanga. So it'll be really interesting to see how that kind of plays out and whether or not they ask Jair Brown to do Hufanga-like things, or if they just say, okay, well, this is a different player, so we're going to do different things with him and and kind of let um, other players kind of step into that role, which is which is also why the Isaiah Oliver thing is very interesting because his one snap that he played on defense was so impactful in that he was asked to do something that was a little bit more like a Hufanga kind of thing where he you know was blitzing off the corner, uh, kind of came in out of nowhere and, and caused the, the disturbance. Um, and so it'll be really interesting to see how that all plays out. But um, obviously that's <laughs> way down in the future. We got to worry about what's going on for now. So uh, for now, it'll be Gibson and Brown back there and we'll hope for the best. So. All right, um, Akshaz, what do, what, do, what do we not like about this one? I mean, again, I think there's more than a couple answers here. This wasn't a particularly great game from the 49ers. So, you know, red zone efficiency, not the best, 50%, which is fine. But, you know, they definitely could have done a better job down there. Not basically taking care of the game. They allowed the Buccaneers defense to really, you know, give them a lot of help. And essentially it required the 49ers defense to consistently seal the door. The 49ers defense was ultimate bend, but not break mode. Again, not what you want to see because that's not really sustainable. But the one thing that was an issue to me is seven penalties for 66 yards because the 49ers in this game in particular were really sloppy and it was really surprising. I mean, there were like three offsides by the defense itself, a couple like pre-snap penalties that derail drives. And this is really, I think, the Achilles heel of this football team right now 
is that they can get really handsy and just like not disciplined at times and it's cost them a lot. So that's kind of the issue where, again, thinking about like, what can they improve on? What's really something that they need to tighten up? I think the penalty yards, you're just gifting teams first downs and free plays and better teams take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's right. Um, and, and, you know, there are some of these situations, some of those calls are, are, are things where it's like, yeah, you, you just can't do that. Cause like, especially the pre-snap stuff, there's no like question. <laughs> you cross the line, you, you fall started. Like th- those are, those are easy things to pick on there. You know, there's a couple, like, I'm not so sure how I felt about the, well, I know how I felt about it in the moment, but the, the Fred Warner pass interference penalty, uh, you know, I, I get it because like he did extend his arm, but how much contact did he actually make with Cade Otten, I believe is the the uh, Buccaneers tight end. And how much did it actually impact because Otten was already leaving his feet and probably already falling backwards. So there's some questions there. There was an interesting there's some interesting things going on about to that uh, in uh, I, I think. Through the athletic, I don't know if you saw this, but there's um, like like player polls that have been going out and they've been asking him a lot of different questions about like turf versus grass and all that kind of situation and all those things. And one of the things that was was asked about was whether or not they what their thoughts were on on the officiating this season. And like, I think the overwhelming sort of numbers were sort of like it was basically like a one out of 10 on a scale of one to 10. Like, how are they doing? I think the most people were like in the four to six range kind of thing. So really right in the middle, you kind of expect that to a certain extent, but also one quote in particular that I saw was something about like, they're either calling everything or they're calling nothing. And it's really hard to kind of keep up. So um, some of that is just, you got to be more disciplined. Some of it is, you wonder how much of that is just coming from who's calling what and when and where and why we don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, that's definitely true. Officiating's been pretty poor this year, but it's also poor across the board. So, you know, as much as, like, it's annoying that this is true, it is a part of the game. So, and the Fred Warner penalty, a little ticky-tack, don't know how I felt about it. But equally importantly, I don't, like, it's, you just didn't need it, right? That pass was yeah. not going to be caught anyhow. So it's one of those situations, too, where, like, should they have called it? Maybe not. But equally, like, importantly, it, like, it didn't change anything, right? So right. Why, why go through the contact? I mean, you know, there weren't a ton of, like, defensive back calls, but those have been the killers, you know, illegal. Mm-hmm. And so the face holding, pass interference, it's just things like that. You can't, you can't give teams easy outs. Yeah, I think I think you're you're definitely right. And they've and there have been other situations and those were certainly prevalent during the the losing streak and and all that. So something to to watch out for for sure. Um the for me, I think um the you you mentioned this a little bit. Uh for me the the thing I didn't really like was the fact that it it kind of felt like when Kittle scored that touchdown and got the lead 27 was it 27-7 I think. Um, that the offense, when they came back out after that on their next, when it was now 27, 14 and they came back out and they just looked kind of like a little confused that they had to go back out there and maybe score some more points. Right. Uh, they were pretty flat coming out in the fourth quarter. It was almost like they thought 
that Kittle touchdown was like the death, the death blow of the game. And they're like, all right, cool. We got it. Like everything's fine. Um, and that ended up being the final score and the, you know, the defense ended up taking care of things when they needed to. But I, I think you would have liked to see a little bit more from the offense in the fourth quarter, just to like take some of the pressure off the defense. Like, cause even if you get another field goal in the game, that probably purports to a de- decently long drive, you get, you extend the lead a little bit further. You, f- you feel a little more comfortable about it, but you don't, you don't like to see the, 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 the offense just kind of like blah out at the end. Right. Um, uh, if you look at their, their fourth quarter drives, uh, it was three, two punts, uh, turnover on downs and then the end of the game. So <laughs> again, after scoring that touchdown, uh, to Kittle to make it, um, 27, seven, you'd, you'd like to see them maybe get a few more points to, to make you feel a little more comfortable. Yeah. I mean, on that note, you know, the fourth down decision, on the what was ultimately, I think, the 49ers' final real drive. It's a fantastic call by Shanahan to go mm-hmm. for it on that side of the field. Like, 10 out of 10 do it. But the execution was really off. And I think that was just the fourth quarter. It was just poor execution. <clears throat> I mean, it's easy to say now because the defense took care of it. Like, oh, yeah, everything was under control. But it was like a, like the 49ers left that game for the Bucks to grab. And the Bucs just weren't able to. And, like, you can't do that. This is exactly, we've been talking about this. This team kind of needs to find that killer instinct. It has it some games. But, you know, when things are starting to get tight in the fourth quarter, they've got to execute better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's right. And, um, I mean, Christian McCaffrey was obviously pretty <laughs> upset with himself that he wasn't able to to pick up that fourth down. I didn't. I didn't love the call when it happened. I was like, I don't understand. Like that is the worst place to run at this Buccaneers defense is right where Vita Vea is um, or in the middle anywhere. Like they, you thought they'd learned that lesson. Um, but you know, and maybe the, the, maybe the play is like an outside zone run instead, because they did that earlier in the game where they had a, a like a third and short and they rather, they kind of lined up as if they were going to run inside and then they pitched it the outside, which was, I thought was a perfect execution of that kind of thing. So, you know, you're right. The idea was was good, but um, you'd like to see a little bit better execution in that moment. So. All right. But. Hey, they won the game. <laughs> um, not the most convincing from from start to finish, but um, the middle part was really exciting. I got to say that they're on to seven and three and they are um, head into Seattle on Thursday night to take on the Seahawks. Um you alluded to it already. It's their second Thursday night game of the season after they played in week three uh, for their home opener. Now they play, they get the the honor of playing on Thursday night for Thanksgiving. Um, I guess the only real upside to this is at least they're not playing like the afternoon game on Thursday, which would be like even worse because uh, they'd have a couple, several less hours to, 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 to rest up. But, um, you know, player safety. Thanks, NFL. We appreciate you. Um, <laughs> so it's Seattle. It's a big game. Seattle lost. Uh, Seattle lost the Rams on Sunday, which means that the 49ers are up a full game in the division heading into this. This is obviously, of course, this also the start of a, a pretty treacherous run of games uh, starting Thursday night. And then they play on December the 3rd in Philadelphia. 
Um, and then the following Sunday, they host the Seahawks uh, to kind of close out, you know, a run that could sort of be the deciding, a deciding factor in maybe not whether or not they make the playoffs or not, but definitely where they end up seated. Cause I think there's a pretty good chance that even if they like won one of these games, depending on how, which game it was, that they could still get into the playoffs, but it might mean they're going to have to be a wild card and go on the road and all that kind of stuff, which is not what you want. But, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm, 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 I don't, I don't know how I feel about this game, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in, in great detail here in just a little bit. Uh, any, uh, opening thoughts about this one before we dive into the details? I mean, this is, um, this is three game stretch. Like you said, this determines <clears throat> basically if they're the, it determines if they can get the one seed, if they're going to win the division. If you beat Seattle, so priorities-wise, right, you got to win the two games against Seattle. There's just no – there's no way to drop one of these games with how the Seahawks have been playing. You have to win this. The game against Philly is, you know, unfortunate only because it's such a big game and you would like it to not be sandwiched by important divisional games, but it is what it is. But – you know, this Seattle game Thursday in Seattle, you know, basically determines kind of the trajectory of the team for the for the division. It's a huge one. It's the biggest game they've played so far this year. So I'd say it's bigger than like the Cowboys game because, you know, Dallas is a good team, but Dallas clearly has some like some demons it has to take care of that exist in in San Santa Clara. The same thing applies to the 49ers in Seattle. Despite slightly better success recently, it's always going to be close. They're always a good team. So it's a huge yeah. one. It's, I mean, it's super fun. Hopefully everyone is healthy as much as they can be for it because, you know, these are Seattle has been a really, really good football team. So it should be a fun game. Yeah. Um, if they win this game, that would be the first time they've ever won consecutive games in Seattle ever, which – um, you know, the rivalry doesn't go back that far, so it's not terribly surprising that that would be true. Um, but it is interesting to to know. All right. So you said something about health. That's a good transition. Well done. Um, way to pay attention to that. Um, so the 49ers, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday nights. Um, or 49ers are actually in the middle of an evening practice right now, um, which is kind of cool. So we do have some information in terms of like what's going on. Um, the other sort of bit of not so great injury news coming out of a game on Sunday was that Spencer Burford has a knee injury. Um, he, they, both teams, both Seattle and the 49ers put out a, like an expected, an estimated practice, uh, <laughs> practice, um, status for Monday because neither team actually practiced, but we do have, uh, pra uh, practice reports for both teams from, uh, for, for Tuesday, uh, Burford not practicing. So it seems very unlikely that he's going to play. Um, the good news is that Aaron Banks is, has is participating as we speak, or is able to participate, um, missed the last couple of weeks with that turf toe injury, which happened before the bye week So we're like three weeks out. It, it sounds like he has got a pretty, like he might have a chance to play. Uh, we'll really see how that, how that plays out over the next the course, of the next day or two. Um, that would be really good news because that means John John Feliciano could slide over to the right guard position to cover for Burford. If if Banks is not able to go, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe the maybe the new guy has to slide into right guard 
uh, just like two days after getting signed, that would be interesting for sure. Or it could be like sliding in Jalen Moore or Matt Pryor. I'm not really sure what the plan would be there. Um, Javon Hargrave has a thumb injury. He would be, he's considered limited uh, today, but I would be surprised if that holds him out of the game. Barry McLeod with a rib injury, also limited, and Shamar Jean-Charles with a shoulder injury. Um, that's pretty much all we got for the um, 49ers. Of course, there could be um, the elevation of Sam Womack before Thursday's game. Maybe not. I think we got to be getting close to the end of the practice window here with him. Um, so it'll be probably – he probably has to be elevated before this game or before the Philadelphia game, or that's going to be it for him. Same with Robert Beal. Uh, so we'll see how that goes for, for both of them. <clears throat> Seattle, a little bit more banged up than the 49ers. Uh, they got a couple of players that did not practice on Tuesday. Uh, Kenneth Walker, running back, has an oblique injury that he suffered on Sunday against the Rams. Uh, wide receiver Derek Young has an abdomen. And then uh, safety Jarek Reed um, has a knee injury. I believe they're putting him on IR is what I remember seeing. So he's going to be completely out. Uh, the name that is interesting that went on the did not practice list but was not on the Monday list is DK Metcalf, who has a toe injury. That would be a name to watch out for. Um, and then if, and then we got a couple of limited players. Geno Smith, who has that elbow injury that kept him out of a, a small chunk of the game on Sunday and also ultimately may have impacted his ability to, to be fully useful at the end of it. Um, it's an elbow injury. He's limited, along with uh, Tariq Woolen, who has a shoulder injury. Um, and then Tyler Lockett with a hamstring, Jamal Adams with a knee, Trey Brown with a foot, and Kobe Bryant with a toe. They were previously li- listed as limited, but they were full go on Tuesday. So obviously a lot of names there. <laughs> and um, heading into the game, you kind of watch out for them. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious which names stand out and which would have the biggest impact. But what do you got? I mean, so I don't think Kenneth Walker will be playing. Yeah, so. That's already that's a huge loss, right? Seattle, you know, Seattle's passing offense is very, very good, but Kenneth Walker is kind of that engine that allows them to stay balanced and play the way Pete Carroll wants them to play. The 49ers have been up and down with running backs despite kind of those rankings. They can be like a harbinger of doom for this defense. So if he can't play, that's a huge loss. Beyond that, you know, it's not so much the fact that like Metcalf is out on Tuesday, it's I given how new the injury is, I don't know exactly if we'll see him on Thursday. He's again, if he's not gonna play, that's a huge, huge loss for him for Seattle. Completely changes that passing offense and it's a new mode, new kind of like new system for them to kind of deal with. But beyond that, you know, Geno Smith not playing, Tyler Lockett not playing like limited in practice those are also like big names that even if they're a little hampered completely changes the way this game goes i mean you've kind of we've just listed the seattle offense essentially (laughs) basically and if they and if they can't go you know that really changes this game because it makes it so much harder for seattle to kind of get success and they already you know, against the 49ers last year, didn't have much success on offense. So now you take all these players being hurt, kind of banged up, and it can completely change the way this game goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously there's a 
there's a pretty big difference between Geno Smith, who's pretty comfortable in this offense and has looked pretty pretty good running it over the last couple of seasons, and in the next man up, which is Drew Locke. Um, but we'll we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But um, all right, so let's let's carry that over and and talk about why you Akshavs are are optimistic about the 49ers ability to win this game on Thursday night. So Seattle's, you know, Seattle's defense, which has been ascending throughout the entire year is not particularly great going up against the 49ers offense, which has been I think rather surprisingly the best part of this team. (coughs) So, you know, Seattle's defense allows 345 yards per game. Most surprisingly, 112 rushing yards per game. Pretty opportunistic on defense, nine forced fumbles, seven interceptions. But, you know, they are a defense that can be attacked. They've added Leonard Williams. They have the rookie, Devon Witherspoon, Tariq Woolen, Bobby Wagner, so Jamal Adams. They have players, but it doesn't all come together. And I think, you know, the 49ers offense has had success against Seattle's defense recently. Brock Purdy, you know, had a fantastic game in the playoffs. So, that's kind of where the game is. I expect this to be a Christian McCaffrey gets 20 plus carries. Elijah Mitchell gets 10 carries. Devo Samuel gets like five carries and 49ers just impose their will on Seattle's defense. And I think Seattle's defense isn't up to snuff to stop that from happening. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely right there with you on that. I think, there, there's some comparisons to be drawn, I think, between the the Jaguars team that they played two weeks ago and the Seattle team, with the exception of the fact that the Seattle defense is not nearly as good as what Jacksonville's defense has been doing throughout much of this season. And we saw what the 49ers did uh, to that Jacksonville defense. Um, now, granted, that was coming off a bye and they had a lot of time to think about it. But there is some, I think, the familiarity of these two teams and the ability to just kind of know what they need to do to attack this, this uh, team um, haven't brought up uh, DVOA numbers a lot this year, mostly because I had lost track of where they were. <laughs> they used to be on a, uh, on one website and then they disappeared and I finally found them again. So good for me uh, for being way behind the, the eight ball on that. But uh, if you look at those numbers, uh, Seattle has the 19th ranked defense uh, per the, per DVOA metrics uh, at 3.6% and their offense is okay too. They're, they're 12th, in, in the NFL at 2.6%. Um, it's, it's fine. Like they're a, they're a middle of the road team. That is just, um, that's probably been the beneficiary of some fortunate situations. If you look at their, <laughs> at, at the season that they've had so far, they've, they've probably had a couple of games that they should have lost. Um, you could probably say that a lot of team about a lot of teams, but um, I think the cert- there's certainly a, a, a thought there that they've they've maybe underperformed a little bit um, heading into uh, this game. So we'll we'll see how that how that kind of comes out. The other part of that, of course, if we're going to stick with the DVOA numbers, is uh, Akshaz want to take a stab at who the the best offense per DVOA is at this particular point in the season. The Eagles. No, I'm kidding. It's the 49ers. Yeah. The 49ers for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's the 49ers. It, it's, and it's by a pretty hefty sum, actually. Uh, 49ers sitting at 33.6% um, heading into this week. Uh, number one in the NFL. Miami Dolphins behind them at number two at 23.9%. So um, there's a pretty big chasm there between those two teams, which is quite incredible um, to think about the way that this this offense has been playing. And as you said, 
it's it's like the backbone of this of this team. It's what makes this this team run. And so um, if the offense can continue to do it, and especially if they can continue to do it in a balanced way, which is something that they've they're going to need to do in order to to kind of hold this to to do what they want to do, and that's going to be good. Um, and <laughs> and if it is by chance a Drew Locke starting game for the Seahawks, then I think. All, all the more reason I think it's going to go even worse from the Seahawks perspective in that particular case. All right. But um, because we are um, not, we don't want to over Homer it. What, what are we concerned about here? I mean, so there are a couple of things depending on who plays DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett and Jackson Smith and Jiba are probably the second best at a receivers. The Niners have played other than Cincinnati's trio. And we saw how that went. So <clears throat> you can definitely get some damage there. Their defense, like I mentioned, has some really good players, so you worry about splash plays happening. But above all, it's Thursday night in Seattle, and I don't know about you, Robert, but I don't like the Niners playing in Seattle. There's something about (laughs) that place. Things just don't go right. It's a divisional game. Seattle will play them close. Like, this is is the trappings of a game that the 49ers will be in till the end. Because you just know your divisional opponents too well. And Seattle, you know, they've definitely underperformed relative to their team talent. They might have overperformed record-wise, but this team is better than the efficiency metrics they're putting on. And it's nothing like a divisional game to kind of get right. So there's definitely some concern that this game kind of takes a swing in the wrong direction for the 49ers. Yeah, I mean that—that's more or less where I am uh, in this. Uh, I said, you know, it's a trip to Seattle where things can get weird. Um, it's a division game that, frankly, both teams need um, in order to keep pace in the NFC with the Eagles, who won another game that they shouldn't have on Monday night, um, and the Lions, which is just bizarre to say. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just weird. Um, the Lions are a weird team, um, but yeah, I, th- I think I think I'm right there with you. This this definitely has the makings of like if you look if you look back at the games that they played uh, against one another last year, um, and you have to sort of take into account um, really just the two games that were um, where where Brock Purdy played. It was his second career start um, in Seattle. Uh, they won that. The 49ers won that game. It was a close one. It was 21-13. Um, I don't know if it's going to be quite that close. Um, I would imagine something a little bit more. And it was really, it, it wasn't really that close. Honestly, the Niners were up 21-3 to uh, early in the third quarter. And the, the Seahawks scored a field goal and a late touchdown um, to make it look closer than it was. So it could be something like that. But I also think uh, the, the playoff game in the, the wild card round that finished 41-3 to 23 um the Niners jumped out to a quick lead the Seahawks ended up with a a one point lead at halftime when it was all said and done on a on a late field goal by Jason Myers and then the Niners kind of ran away with it in the second half um <laughs> they got touchdowns from Purdy from Elijah Mitchell from Diva Samuel and they were up 38 to 17 early in the fourth quarter and then it was kind of all over from there and so I, I could see something more resembling that um in a lot of ways but it's it's certainly one of those those games that you're going to be like nervous about longer than you probably want to be especially 
it being the holidays and everything and you're like ah oh, this this is awful like i don't want this i don't want to do this anymore <laughs> yeah i mean i still think about that division that game simply because of jimmy ward with the late hit i the fact that i remembered it tells you exactly what i thought of it mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know I, it's a t- it's a divisional game if we like take like a step back right the 49ers are probably a better team than seattle but they definitely have to beat seattle a team like the seahawks she cannot be the kind of like obstacle they can't overcome this year right, right. they though this is kind of the same thing i was talking about when we were talking about the jaguars heading into them out of the bye jacksonville is a good team seattle is also a good team but they're in definitively that second tier of NFL teams right now. And the 49ers are in that first tier, right? That's where they should be. They're trying to compete to be the best team there. That's the best team in the NFL overall. So, you know, this game will be tough. It probably will be close. But this isn't a game that the 49ers can afford to lose. And, you know, this is a great test. It's going to be a tough environment. It's a short week. And it's basically a must-win game, you know. Win this, you get what is like two-game lead up against the Seahawks. You kind of cement your control over the division. You basically do because Seattle can best-case tie you in terms of divisional record, and they tie you in the head-to-head as well. So, you know, you don't lose any tiebreakers. So it's it's a huge game, and their reward for winning it is a little extra rest over the holidays and travel to Philly, so... You know, lots of pressure on this one. <laughs> no big deal, though, right? All, all good. Um, one name that I'll throw out here because we didn't really talk about him very much, but I think it's it's a it's a name worth watching out for. So I saw this to get today. This is from like don't take not all of this is necessarily important, but it is interesting uh, on on from a from a certain perspective. This comes from Yahoo Fantasy Sports. So take with that what you will. The first part is the important part. Uh, Devo Samuel has historically owned the Seahawks. Uh, averaging these numbers per game versus Seattle in five games, he's averaging 6.4 catches, 133.2 yards, and 0.8 touchdowns, which doesn't even factor in uh, him as a runner, uh, which is something else that he's done pretty well against the Seahawks in his game. So I could see this being a game where they lean heavily. You alluded to to McCaffrey, um, but where 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 they 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 spend so much time paying attention to Ayuk and, and to Kittle that that diva samuel gets an opportunity to really break out in this one so that's what i'm gonna i'm predicting that but now i'm gonna throw it to you to predict what you think the game is gonna do in in terms of the score i think this will be this is tough right because there's so much weirdness involved with thursday thanksgiving divisional game that kind of necessarily deflates the margin but i'll say 31 to 13. I think it'll be close heading into halftime, but then I think the 49ers will pull away with it as they kind of overwhelm Seattle. Wow. That's, that's incredible. I, th- I said 31, 16. So look at me. I'm like, <laughs> like right on the, the same. I, yeah, I'm right there with you. I think this is going to be one of those games where maybe very similar to the Tampa game where it's really, it's closer at, at halftime than you want it. Maybe it's like a, I don't know, like a like a fourteen to to 
ten game or something like that at halftime, and and you're just and you're just like, oh, here we go again. And then they come out in the second half and and kind of blow the doors open a little bit and um, make it make it less interesting, <laughs> which is what we're looking for, right? In those particular games, maybe get the starters off their feet a little bit, let them hang out at the beginning, you know, hang out, uh, get get a, a a head start on their their long, long, long weekend before uh, the Philly game. So. All right, Akshaz, uh, we we did it. We we covered both games, and we did it in under, under an hour. So look at us. So this is the super slightly super supersized edition of the Niner Noise podcast, but uh, always good uh, to 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 get through that. And it's been good to be back with everybody. Um, Akshaz, any final words on anything as it relates to what we got coming up here? I mean, it's it's Seattle. Like they gotta beat Seattle. There's nothing more to say. You know. Some games mean more, and games against Seattle. This next three games, we'll talk more about the Eagles game and kind of like what exactly, how we're feeling about it, how it relates to like last year and what they'll have to do in the playoffs. But I mean, some things are universal. And I, growing up, Seattle, San Francisco, that was that was the thing that got my blood boiling. So, you know, the teams are different now. Coaches are different now, but still. It's a big game. Let's hope they they really show out and kind of like, you know, remind the NFC West who's really in charge. Indeed. Um, I'm I'm all in favor of that as well. So um, hopefully you will enjoy the majority of your day. The good news is that this game does not happen until later in the evening. So you can get all the, the festivities and stuff and then you can go like really focus in on this game. You know, like for me on the East Coast, it doesn't even start till 820, which is good and bad which is you know what it is what it is um it just means i have to spend all day be like "Ah, here we go um but i'll be i'll be excited and hopefully they will have a good thanksgiving as opposed to the last couple of thanksgiving games that the 49ers have played which have not gone particularly well but the less said about that the better at this point so um (laughs) thanks as always for listening to this episode of the niner noise podcast part of the fan-sided podcast network Please continue to check out NinerNoise.com for all your latest 49ers news and analysis. And be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And of course, share it with all your fellow 49er fan friends. So until next time, let's sound the horn, 49ers. (laughs) 